as we continue to worship your name, maybe remember maybe remember our neighbors that may not be like us. And maybe love them. See you love them. And see you love us. We give you the rest of the night. Welcome the two and five-year-olds to come on up to the side here, and we want to bless you as you go on your way. Come on up. Whoa, I hope this stays. No? Probably a bad idea. All right. We uh, really value our kids and believe that they are just as much a part of what we do as anyone of any age. And so we want to send them not away, but commission them and send them to continue their worship, and they will return that to us. So would you extend a hand and say with me, children of God, the Lord bless you and go with you as you continue your worship. Awesome. You guys are getting it. You're getting close. It's good. All right. <laughs> they need it in their hearts. I'm going to grab this. My uh, traditional notes did not work out, so forgive the computer, but uh, we'll get it. All right. So you, I know your ears are ringing, but it was awesome, right? Yeah, thank you for coming, everyone. It was really good. It was really good. And that's part of our our vision, is really to see um, what we call the beautiful discomfort of diversity. That diversity is beautiful, but it's also uncomfortable. And so some of you may have been uncomfortable. Some of you might have just been reveling in the beauty of it. Some of you might have been be able to live in the tension of both. But the kingdom of God... It is not so much about comfort, comfort, but about the beautiful discomfort of, of, of people coming together, learning to live together, learning to sing and worship together, learning to um, submit to one another. And so what we just did was a beautiful expression, a picture of the kingdom of God, of God's heart for the world. And so that's just really exciting for me to see because I feel like it's part of what we're here to do. And it's what our neighborhood looks like as well. And so um, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, we last week started a series called Kingdom Encounters. And um, really all that means is that an encounter with Jesus is an encounter with the kingdom of God. And so uh, over we're going to look at Matthew chapters 8 and 9. And we're going to look at nine examples, nine stories, nine encounters of Jesus with everyday normal people that are living uh, life, that are struggling through life, and what it looks like to encounter Jesus or the kingdom of God. Uh, And just like it is to encounter Jesus, to encounter the kingdom of God, it should be that to encounter the people of God, to encounter Jesus' people, should be an encounter 
with the kingdom of God. It should be a kingdom encounter when we encounter when people encounter the people of God. Because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We're following the way of Jesus. We have the heart of Jesus. We're seeking the priorities of Jesus. And so to encounter us is to encounter uh, the kingdom. I'm going to turn this off, I think. All right, so last week we talked about this. I want everyone to put your, elbow, your arms out like this. I need some full participation. We're going to make this graph in our elbows, okay? All right, so we talked about the kingdom of God, and we talked about where we are in the midst of history. Right here, think about creation. God making the world as it's supposed to be. Wellness in all directions. And then we have a rejection of God and the fall. Sin, pain, destruction, torment, uh, abuse, neglect, famine. All of the things that we struggle through in the world are a part of our existence. All right? And into this, into this world enters Jesus. Here it is. He's at the tip of your fingertips. Boom! And he comes in to space and time, here and now. And where, when Jesus came and he lived his life, he taught what he taught, he died the death that he, that he died and he rose from the dead, in came the kingdom of God. Now, he will, this is his first company, here's a cross, see, boom, he's got a cross. It started the kingdom of God on earth and it will continue on forever. And the present age that we are a part of, where there is sin, death, suffering, famine and hunger, all the things that we suffer with, it will come to an end. We have that promise in Scripture that Jesus will return and that it will come to an end at this fingertip. And the kingdom of God will continue beyond and past the elbow into eternity. So we live in the time... If you guys are getting sore, you can put your hands down, but you can keep it up. We live between fingertips, all right? We live in the time between the times, and we are people that live in light of the kingdom to come where there will be no more sickness, where all wrongs will be made right, where there is peace and wellness, shalom, wellness in all directions. And so we, Jesus, lived that way. And when we encounter Jesus, we encounter the world as it is meant to be. And as people of Jesus, Jesus' people, when people encounter us, they should be encountering the world as it's meant to be. And so... In the kingdom of God, there is no sickness. And so in the time in between the times, we, as people of God, look to get rid of sickness. We do that in a few different ways. We do that by praying for people because we believe God can heal. And so we look for the miraculous healing. But we also become doctors and nurses and and med techs. And we say, hey, we want to be a part of alleviating the sickness in the world because we are kingdom people. We see brokenness and dysfunction and broken relationships. We see all of that going on. And we know that in the kingdom of God, there is no broken relationships. There is no um, abuse and, and dysfunction between people. And so on earth, we seek the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And so we seek to be a part of reconciling broken relationships. When we see someone hurting and, and in an abusive situation, we enter into that and we try to be agents of peace and restoration and reconciliation. We become lawyers. We become social workers. We become foster parents. We become what, just people that see conflict and step into it because we are people empowered by the Spirit, alive to what God is going to do. 
and so on and so forth, right? We are agents of the kingdom. And so an account, encounter with us ought to be an encounter with the kingdom of God. And so if we are going to do that, and that excites me, I don't know about you, it excites me to have purpose like that, and I believe it is our purpose. But if we're going to live that way, there's one thing we have to do, and that is to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Now, I say that Jesus is Lord. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look. This is a little different. I want to get some feedback from you. We're going to have a conversation. What does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? When I say Jesus is Lord, what does that mean for you? That he's God's son. Thank you, Therese. All right, well, what else? He's our creator, our father. Summer? He's in control, okay. Who else? Other thoughts? Ideas? That's great. Someone we follow. Jesus is someone we follow. Someone we have faith in. Awesome, Robert. Yes, sir. He's graceful. He's graceful. Yes, beautiful. I love it. Someone's phone. All right. Jesus is Lord. What, what does it mean to embrace Jesus as Lord? We've heard great things. Other thoughts? Yeah. Surrender. Wow. Don't get so radical, man. Just kidding. No, that's good. That's good. Anything else? Yeah. To recognize God. That's good. To recognize God in our daily life, right? Good work. Good work. Anyone else? Thoughts? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yeah, so He's Almighty. I love it. That's good. That's good. What was that? Everlasting God. Good stuff. All right, so we're going to um, look at an encounter in Scripture. And this is the best I could do. We had some technical difficulties. I know you can also get your own Bibles out, but um, this is an encounter, the second encounter in Matthew 8 through 9 that we have of Jesus. And this is a Roman centurion that encounters Jesus and we, he's going to acknowledge him as Lord. And we're going to get to see what that looks like. So uh, you can read with me. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many, many will come from east and west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. All right, let's unpack this a little bit. Just a centurion is a soldier, all right? He's a soldier in the Roman Empire. And 
he has authority over 100 men. So centurion has this word century in it, right? And we know that century is 100. So a centurion is a soldier that is over 100 other soldiers. So this man has a lot of power. He is a soldier in the most powerful military, in the most powerful empire at the time. He's part of the Roman Empire that is taking over most of the world. No one can stand against the Roman Empire. They rule most of the known world at this time, and they're not always, let's say, to put it kindly, nice. All right, They, are, uh, 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 they, they take over, and you do what they say, or you lose your life. And so they would crucify people, anyone who resisted them. Jesus wasn't the only one who was crucified. Hundreds of people, hundreds, I don't know how many, were crucified even around Jesus' birth, a few years before he was born. Uh, Hundreds of people were crucified and lined up along the roads as an example of what it looks like to come against the Roman Empire. So crucifixion was very much a part of Jesus' perspective of the world at that time. It was like lynching uh, in the... uh, um, post-Civil War South, an instrument of terror and control that the government used to keep people down. All right, And so this centurion is stationed in Capernaum, and he is an agent of the Roman Empire. He is to maintain control of this region. And he has, this is another thing about a soldier in the Roman Empire, He has sworn absolute allegiance to Caesar as Lord. And they would use that phrase, Caesar is Lord. You can see it on coins. So Jesus is Lord is not something like he made up. It's actually a direct like challenge to Caesar as Lord, to rulers as Lord. And so this Roman soldier would have to say, Caesar is Lord and give absolute complete allegiance and devotion to the Roman Empire. And as a soldier, and as a soldier with men under them, he has to commit and serve the agenda of the Roman Empire, right? So you carry on the agenda and the task of Caesar and the Roman Empire without question. So this man understands authority. And so, just a side note real quick, because Jesus has just said in the Sermon on the Mount, which is right before this, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Who comes walking up to Jesus right after he gives this message to love your enemies? You can say it. His enemy. A big enemy. One that has been uh, responsible for the oppression of Jesus' entire people. Rome has conquered Israel and has subdued the Israelites. And so, this is an example of enemy love. Jesus embodies his mission. His message is embodied in a mission. His, his words are always encapsulated in works, right? And so he has said, love your enemies, and now he gives us an example, or there's an example of it. So, he does not send him away, and in fact, he heals. He, he answers his request. All right. So what this man does, I just want to understand this scenario, right? You have one of the most powerful, uh, um, powerful soldier with soldiers under him in the most powerful empire in, of the world, right? And he's coming to Jesus who on paper is powerless. The power differential is like off the charts. This guy does not need to be talking to a Jew and much less asking him for help. 
but he does because he sees something in Jesus that is incredible, that actually enables him to take a lot of risk. This is, this is a risk for the centurion. This could cost him his career, even his life, because look what does he call Jesus. What does he call Jesus? In verse 6 and 7, he comes to him and he calls him Lord. In the context, we shouldn't skim this over. Like in some instances, it can mean just sir, you know, like sir. But as we unwrap the context and we see what this, who this man is and what he understands and then how he responds to Jesus, we see he's calling Jesus Lord. This is incredible and it's powerful. So he, he approaches Jesus, this Jewish nobody who's on paper, on paper, and he calls him Lord. And so look at Jesus' response. It's kind of weird. And this is different in different uh, translations, but because uh, in Greek there's no punctuation. Okay, so this is written in Greek originally. English, Jesus wasn't speaking English. So he was actually speaking Aramaic, and the scripture is in Greek, and there's no punctuation marks, and so you have to look at grammar. And so um, I think the best translation, according to what I researched, this Jesus actually asked a question here. He asks a question of the centurion in response to the centurion's question. It's very like Jesus. He says, so, so the centurion's like, hey, I'm in big time need here. Like a servant that uh, is very important to me is sick. I need you. He's desperate. He's per- paralyzed. Will you come and help? And Jesus says, should I come and help? Should I come and, and heal him? Now let me, I'll, I'll experiment with this. I'll put this out on you. What do you guys think? Why is Jesus asked this question? Any ideas, thoughts? Don't be afraid. Yeah. And when I do it, I'm testing people's sincerity. Ah, very good. Like very really, what are you asking? Like, what are you asking? Are you sure you know what you're asking for? Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So again, kind of a testing kind of thing. Yeah. It's interesting because in Matthew, like as Matthew records, like Jesus goes to the house of Israel first. He, he, he ends up opening, going to everyone. But at this stage in his ministry, he's just like going to synagogues, going to Jewish places. And so this Gentile comes, and uh, a Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew, right? And he comes and, yeah, I think it is kind of a test. It's like, okay, who are you? Like, who do you really, you just call me Lord. Did I hear that right? Like, do you really want me to come into your life? Like, do you know who I am? Do you know what, like, I will heal, but do you know who you're inviting into your life? Do you know the risk this is to you and to Jesus? Jesus would not have been allowed, it was against Jewish law, to go into a Gentile's house. And so he's like, all right, you want to do this? You want to, like, stir things up? Are you, are you sure you want me in your life? And look at the centurion's response. He replied, Lord, he says it again, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For myself, 
For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. So he says, look, yes, Jesus, let me repeat this, Lord, your Lord, I'm unworthy. I'm the unworthy one. On paper, I'm above you, but I know I'm infinitely below you. You are the one who is worthy. You're the one with actual power. You are the Lord. Look, I understand authority. I say to this one, go, and he says, how far? I say to this one, do this. He says, when and where and how? I understand authority. I understand what it means to be under an empire and under Caesar. If I mess up, I'm done. I understand authority. I understand what I'm asking, and I believe that you have the authority. You are Lord. In fact, you don't even have to be present. I believe you have authority not just over people, but over disease, over distance. Like you can just speak the word and have it done. So look, this is significant. This is significant because he understands what's going on here. So the the centurion is actually transferring allegiance. He he, He has had to swear ultimate allegiance to Caesar, to the Roman Empire, to their agenda in the world. And he's making a switch. Jesus has just said in the Sermon on the Mount, you cannot serve two masters. You either love the one or hate the other. He says you can't serve God and money or God and anything else. So he makes a switch here. He transfers allegiances. And he transfers from allegiance from Caesar, a ruler of death, to Jesus, the ruler that brings life. And Jesus' response is incredible. This is actually... um, one of the only times he commends someone for their faith at this level. And it's a Gentile. It's kind of scandalous. He says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Now, if you're amazing Jesus, you're doing something right, right? Jesus was amazed and he said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from east and west and take their place at the feast with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus looks at this man and he marvels at his faith. Why? Because it's, it's not an empty faith. It's a life-altering faith. It's, it's a faith that acknowledges that Jesus is going to have something to say and be in his life, right? That Jesus is Lord, and he understands what it means for Caesar to be Lord and how it's life-altering, and he understands he's making a switch, and he's saying, Jesus, you're Lord. I'm going to orient my life around you. And so Jesus responds and he says, wow, this is, this is incredible. And, and he says, many from east and west, what he's saying is all people, all nations, very symbolic of what we've just done today in our worship, we say all tribes, every people, every tribe, every tongue, every nation will come before the throne and worship Jesus as Lord. And he says, many will come and they'll eat. And that's why we eat together every week. We do these things on purpose, people. 
The kingdom of God involves eating around a table as a community of a diverse people worshiping the one king. And he says many will come and feast with these heroes of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But some, some of you, the chosen people, the people who have the right ethnicity, the people that have the right traditions, the people that have all the head knowledge, you're, you're missing it. Because you say, Lord, Lord, with your lips, but you don't say, Lord, Lord, with your life. You haven't made that transfer of allegiance. And he said, so, so what this says is this, the, what, the turning point is Jesus. That's what's in question here. Not your traditions, not your eth- ethnic background, not what you've done or haven't done, but Jesus. What do you do with Jesus? Is he Lord or is he not? And so Jesus says, this man will be. Many will come and eat with me. So what about us? He acknowledges and and wins the amazement of Jesus because of his faith. And his faith is an active faith. His faith says Jesus is Lord. Jesus is leader. Um, Jesus is in charge, right? And so my question to us is, do we have the faith of the centurion to switch allegiances. Have we switched allegiances? God says you cannot serve God and anything else. Have we made the switch? When we say Jesus is Lord, we we mean two things. We mean by what we mean. uh, It means what we're saying and it means what we're not saying. Okay? Let me explain that. When we say Jesus is Lord, what we are saying, what we are embracing is that Jesus' way will be my way. That I'm going to use Jesus, I'm going to not use Jesus, I'm going to follow Jesus, and the direction of Jesus' life is going to be the direction of my life. I'm going to come underneath his mission and his purposes for the world, and my life's mission is going to be in service of the mission of Jesus. Jesus is Lord means that I am following Jesus. I embrace his way and his will in my life, no matter the cost right? No matter the cost. So that's what we mean when we, we say that, but it means a lot by what we're not saying either, because what we're not saying when we say Jesus is Lord is we're saying that Caesar is not. We're, we're diminishing all other allegiances, right? Caesar is not Lord if Jesus is Lord. Politics are not Lord if Jesus is Lord. Power is not Lord, if Jesus is Lord, right? Money is not Lord. Religion is not Lord. Fashion is not Lord. Fame is not Lord. Success is not Lord, right? Fitness is not Lord, if Jesus is Lord. Appearance is not Lord, if Jesus is Lord. Friends are not Lord. Family isn't even Lord, if Jesus is Lord. This is what one pastor, Paxter Bruxy Cave, he's from Canada, he says this, I, I would have written it down, but you just listen, listen. When we put everything else infinitely second, did you hear that? When we put everything else infinitely second and come to Jesus as our everything, he sends us back into the world as better versions of ourself. The best gift we can give this world is to abandon it for Jesus so he 
can send us back into the world to love it like Jesus. Did you hear that? We abandon the world, put it second, and Jesus takes us and gives us back to the world. And it's the greatest gift of the world because we understand Jesus' heart for the world and we are made whole and we can begin to serve the world. So, my little girl Juliet, where is she? She's right there. She is a very strong and beautiful little girl. She has strength. She has a strong will, all right? And that will comes against ours a lot. And we, we try to figure this out, right? And she, she, she's, she's smart. She's quick. She's got a tongue, the tongue of her mother. And uh, <laughs> Just kidding. And she comes against us, all right? But our prayer for her is not to break her will, all right? Sometimes we say we've got to break the will. We've got to break the will of those kids. We're not breaking anyone's will. Please don't break anyone's will. We are calling them to submit their will to Jesus. Not to me, not to Joanna, not to anyone else, not to some distant husband. We are calling her to submit her will to the will that is Jesus. And when she does that, she will be most free and she will be most uh, able to flourish and contribute to the world. So I pray that she submits to one and one only, and that is Jesus. And she will be released to be the most beautiful caring, powerful woman that the earth has seen, all right, as she submits herself to Jesus. If she doesn't, she's got a long, horrible, painful road ahead of her. Not from me. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying in general, that's what happens. And that's what Jesus is saving us from. He calls us, don't put yourself under anything else because it will destroy you. We all have authority. We're all under authority, we all place ourselves under authority. So the question is, who are you going to serve? Not if you're going to serve, but who are you going to serve? And there's two kinds of masters. There's the Jesus master, and there's everything else. One leads to de- everything else leads to death. One leads to life. So who are we going to serve? Who is, G- who is Lord of our life? Let me make one practical potentially controversial statement and then we'll close implication of this i was reading in my uh just in scripture in the morning psalm 68 um five through six it says god is a father of the fatherless a defender of the widow is god and his holy dwelling god sets the lonely in families don't you love that God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing. God's heart, and we see it in Jesus, and Jesus most clearly reveals God to us. God's heart is with the fatherless, the lonely, the poor, the rejected, the hurting. And so if we want to call Jesus Lord, His agenda is for those that are least, last, lost, left out, left behind. And so, when we think politically, let me just say this. If, if, if we all have, there's, there's different perspectives on how the world should work and what government should look like and politics should be and if it's Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Tea Party, Communist, Socialist, whatever, we've got different opinions, Right? 
But here needs to be the goal and the motivation behind any policy or political decision. And it needs to begin with the poor, the vulnerable, the least, the last, the lost, left out, left behind. That's where we begin. That's the starting point because that's where God starts. All right? If we start there, we're going to have different opinions, whether that's to cut taxes or raise taxes, increase social welfare programs or tell people to work harder, whatever it is, we're going to have different ideas, but the starting point has to be where God starts, and that is the stranger, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, the poor. That's the starting point. So if your starting point, determining policies and who you're going to vote for, or what you're going to do, or how you're, what you're going to spend money on, if your starting point is how it affects my comfort, my lifestyle, my wellness, my sense of well-being, wrong starting point. That's not where we start. We start where God starts, where Jesus starts, and that is with those on the margins, those outcasts. It's not about you. It's about those who are close to God's heart. And He's close to all of our hearts. But He wants, He cares about. You hearing me? Hearing me? (laughs) Yeah, we'll talk about it. (laughs) No, man, it's not about our comfort. Because Jesus went to a cross. His disciples went to a cross. And he calls us to pick up our cross and follow him. And so we serve who Jesus serves. So it matters to whom or what we submit to in life. It matters. It matters what authority we place ourselves under. So I want to propose this afternoon that we that that someone or that something be the Lord Jesus. Because it's not Jesus, it's killing you. And it's leading you to death. I believe Jesus asks us the same question that he asked the centurion, okay? We ask him for healing. We ask him to come into our life. And he says, do you want me to come? Shall I come and heal you? Shall I come? Shall I come into your political affiliation? Shall I come into your career path? Shall I come into your marriage? Shall I come into your parenting? Shall I come into your relationships? Shall I come into your life? Because I will bring healing. But I also am going to confront everything that is not holy in you. And it's for your good. It's for your good. It's not easy, but it's for our good. We will find the most satisfaction and joy in life as we pursue Jesus. Our greatest satisfaction is our pursuit of Jesus. And we think it's in everything else, but it's in Jesus. So we'll count the cost and follow Jesus. Let me see, am I done? I'm done. So when Jesus asks, shall I come? May our answer be, yes. Come, be Lord of my life. Uh, Let me pray. God, I pray that you would um, just be at work in us. Help us to 
decipher where our allegiances lie and to be able to transfer allegiances. And Lord, I know that we always are, are, are tempted away and I just pray that we would be drawn to you as our one and only allegiance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We have like a couple minutes, and I, this is a little different too, but I want to move towards this. You know, we've done a little bit back and forth. But do, I would like, let's, let's do a couple questions or punchbacks, feedbacks um, into this. What makes, you know, what's God highlighting? We believe that God is speaking.